Welcome to the Radio Plasma Podcast, a space dedicated to the exchange of ideas, conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega. This is one of our series of stories about immigrants celebrating National Immigrant Heritage Month in the city of Holyoke. And today, I want to welcome Samantha Singh. Hello. And we're going to learn about Samantha's story and get inspired and get an eye opener about many situations that immigrants have to endure. So, Samantha, thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you. Let's start by uh, getting to know you a little bit. Um, you are an immigrant and you come from Guyana. Yes, sir. This is a country in South America between Venezuela and Suriname. Yes. If you can share a little bit of your early years over there and how life moved you from Guyana to the United States. Well, um, I was born in Georgetown, Guyana. Um, my mother's East Indian, and I'm still doing the research on what my dad is um I spent seven years of my life in Guyana and when I came here to America my mom had came just before me and she sent for me my mom began working and my life started and I went to Mount Lebanon Baptist Church in Brooklyn I went to school PS 112 in Bay Ridge Brooklyn I had teachers a really good influence um, in my life until uh, my mom, she had two jobs, she was barely there, and I always stayed with the babysitter. And so my dad, I met my dad and my stepmom, and they had siblings of mine, and I just wanted to be there opposed to coming home to no one every day. So I went to my stepmom babysitter and I asked her, you know, can you help me get to my dad in Jamaica? And um, somehow, I don't know, my stepmom and whoever else arranged it where I went to the airport. They took, say, I went to Buffalo. From Buffalo, I went to Jamaica. And so I don't know what happened, but at 17, I spent five years in Jamaica. It was torment. My dad tormented my soul like I was beaten all the time I had to learn how to you know like prep stuff and wash clothes by my hand water the you know the vegetables in the morning and do all sorts of chores before the sun was before have the clothes on the line before the sun was up my dad was a very very strict person I had to raise my brothers and sisters at within that five years because my stepmom, she was a citizen and she traveled back and forth. So I was pretty much the one that did everything for my dad and he went out to work. At 17, I found a way to come back, contacted, I went to Montego Bay and I contacted my mom and I found a way to get back here to America by saying that I was there for three weeks. I lost all my papers. And so I, you know, I didn't know what to do. I was scared and I was, you know, I wanted to see my mom. It was not a life I wanted. I didn't know anything about that. Again, I was now already used to 
being in New York because I've lived there for quite some time. But I, I never, five years I lived in Jamaica, I never got used to it because I never even knew when my birthday was. I never knew when Christmas was. I worked from sunup to sundown in the house and in the yard. And so I never really went anywhere with my dad and my brothers and sisters when they went out. I don't, I lived in Jamaica for five years and I never went to Duns River Fall and we lived right in Montego Bay. So it was like really something that, you know, I, I, it's just, I have friends there that took care of me the time that I ran away from home trying to get back to America, you know, for the time that I was there. When I came back here at 17, I don't know, I started hanging out with friends and I just got into things that I wasn't supposed to and doing things for, you know, to just bring in money put on the table to help my mom. Um, she was a parent of three girls at this time, and so now she's working, doing housekeeping, coming home. My sisters are growing. Um, there's a 12-year-old. She's the eldest of the three. She's constantly trying to stab me or, you know, she's always doing things to, we are always fighting. We can never see eye to eye. Well, like, we can never agree on anything. And throughout those years, it was hard because I had to, leave the house many times just because of that. Um, I never got pregnant until pretty much I met my son's dad. Uh, I stayed with him for about seven years before I got pregnant. And when I got pregnant, um, my son came, my brother had passed away in 2005 and 2006 in Springfield, Massachusetts. And um, three years after my brother passed away, um, my son came on one of their birthdays. Um, and from there, it was like, okay, there's time to adjust my life, time to look at what's important, time to put everything aside that was I'm struggling with and try to make it the best way I know how. Because I'm at the end of the day, I think like I survived a lot throughout my life. And I try struggle with my immigration. I went to, okay, when my mother filed for me in 93, my situation was this. I wasn't married. I went and got married in 96. When she became a citizen in 99, my status had changed to a married daughter. So now I was voided off her case. And then the lawyer that was taking her money was disbarred, Colin Moore. So he was no longer working and I didn't know what to do. I was like 17, 18. And then all these things started happening and I'm, you know, like my mom, she's not educated enough to like go through paperwork with me to say, well, Sam, these are the steps you need to take. And I myself didn't know. No one guided me. I just kept going to this one place that I knew she went to, which was Congressman Ed Town office in Brooklyn on Fulton Street and, and Schenectady. And so I went there and I asked for help and they gave me from Colin Moore. They gave me Michelle Wilkes. Michelle Wilkes had my papers for quite some time. She moved from that office to Yvette Clark's office in Flatbush on Linden Boulevard and Bedford. They had my case. Michelle helped me go through the process of filing an adjustment of status when I was married and so uh, for abusive spouse. And so I went, I got my social, I got my workers authorization card. And then when I went back, Michelle no longer worked there. They hand me my whole case and said, here, miss, she no longer work here. We can't help you. We don't have an immigration um, person to follow up your case at this time. You have to look elsewhere. So 
Then Josiah came and I was like, you know what? I am so done with this. I have a social. I had a bank account. I had $19,000 saved. I was I took out $9,000 to come to Massachusetts to kind of like try to help. My mom was going to, I was going to start the paperwork, do what I had to do. I just want the money just to walk with. My brother stole it from me. He jumped out, the, he took it out the car, left me. Seven years later, I'm now reuniting with him on that situation. But I used that $10,000 to basically took care, take care of Sky. My workers authorization card expired. It was either choose an apartment for 500, I was subletting an apartment for 500, or choose my car. And I had a son, so I chose the apartment. I parked my car in Georgia. My brother picked it up. He totaled it. I went from thirty-one thousand to eight thousand dollars to, you know, paying off my car, and I lost my car. So it's like now I have a son. I don't have any car, and we are in Massachusetts, and it's like a whole new life for me because he doesn't know me before him. He don't know who I was capable, what I did before him. I worked. I did here. I, you know, I, I consistently made my money just to make sure that. I was always okay because I didn't have my papers and I didn't want to be homeless. But majority of my life, I've been homeless because of my sister and my me not getting along with the younger siblings. My mother always said to me I had to leave. So it was like I was always being put out the house. <sighs> so you came to Massachusetts? And you came straight to the city of Holyoke or... Because I was so familiar with Massachusetts, I wanted to come back. It was peaceful. It was... I miss my brothers. I felt closer to them here. And with having Sky, I don't want anything else but the best for him. So I had to get out of New York because it was really, really hard. Um, I lived with his dad and I didn't get along with his sisters well, his sister, but everyone else in the family was fine. But it was just this one sister, um, you know, we just, she said a lot of things around my son that I didn't approve of. So I got a transfer up here, and I stayed in the hotel for quite some time, found a job, started working. Homeland Security said I couldn't work anymore, and that's where I had to go get him. So ever since I've been in the shelter, <laughs> It's crazy because all I needed was a steady, a stable place. So now I have pretty much a lot going on. Like I'm involved with the community. I'm involved with my son's school and a lot of changes being made. It's like we have a voice now. So it's like I'm gathering my parents together and I'm getting those movements because that's really what matters, these kids. And Anything I could do to, I always wanted to be a children's psychologist. I was never able to do all those things at the time. So now it's to where I would like to get my bachelor's for the um, social worker and do whatever I can to help them because they need social workers. They need guidance counselors. They need people to recruit them. They need Mentally, it's a lot of kids gone bad because they come from other countries. They don't know how to speak English, and they're instantly put on ADHD because it's hard for them to adjust, and the doctors don't recognize that it's frustration. Then you see our kids come to the doctors at 
the peak of the day where their energy is at high, yes, they either had nothing for breakfast or what they had for breakfast wasn't sustainable for them to be humble when they sit in the doctor's office. So the doctor's automatically going to say, hey, you need ADH, you need medication because you're bouncing off the walls. These are our children that's being medicated for no reason. And they are children. They're going to just take them out to the field, let them burn out the energy, let them, you know, inquire about the community and the things that we could do with our kids because it's a lot of volunteers that want to be out there with children that want to do things that you don't want to do on the weekends, you know. And if we have to recruit buses to come pick them up and however, it's like just having something for these children, the next generation is like what's important because I saw what happened in the last generation, last two generations, and it's going berserk. Like the, you know, they say Donald Trump is not good, but I look at it this way. He's never had his hands in any type of politics before. And so all the politicians that said they were coming to do good ended up doing worse than the last one. So it's like, you know, the best one we've had so far is Obama. But as soon as we get a good one, he goes right, you know, it comes right back to where everyone, what are we really teaching our children as far as the leaders? We're looking at the leaders, even though they're trying, they're there. We're looking at the leaders like they're nobody. And you can't really paint that picture for these genera this generation. So if you could start from the neighborhoods and the schools, I think that you can develop a lot more mental stability for these children opposed to having them bounce off the wall and just giving them medication to make them stable. So that's my movement, like to have a ch uh, parent's workshop to do that, to better the parents that don't know how to parent their children, the frustration that they, you're only going to get out what you put in. If you put in frustration and you yell and curse at them all the time, you're only going to get that back in their own language. This shows that Amanda has been invested in improvement, not only for herself and her son, but for the community where she's living in. This is the value of immigrants in the United States, people that come here to work, to pursue that improvement on, on their lives, but also to make the life in the community to be as good as their dreams. I want to stand out many of the accomplishments that Samantha has so far. You just recently finished the leadership program by Wayfinders with Marie Claire. I graduated uh, the same day with my diploma and the uh, Wayfinders uh, certificate for the leadership program. On the same day, I had two graduations, and I was at my son's field day that morning saying to myself, oh, I'm not sure if I passed the test. But then the next week, I found out I passed it. So that was my actually my graduation that I missed. But they have two every year, so I'll be at the next come the next one coming up in the fall. With that being said, I have my foundations of health that I'm already signed up for in the fall. So I just would like, I can't wait to start that because, you know, it's, you really have to get to know the kids and know what they want and what they're about to make the next generation happy. And if you don't ask them, you will never know. You can't guesstimate what these children want. You can't ask a child if they're hungry. You have to give the child food and say it's time to eat. You know, you ask a child if they're hungry. And I think that 
metaphorically speaking, it's true because, you know, majority of the times a child has so much other things on their mind. They just got here. Everything fascinates them. So instead of asking them, do they want to eat now or are they hungry? You tell them it's time to eat. You know, you have to eat. And so you put them to, you give them a structure to where they feel, okay, I have to do this. And so I'm going to do, even if it's half your plate, it's it's a lot to be an parent. And I've had brothers and sisters. I've had so much experience with children. I'm not the best but I'm pretty good at analyzing your child and mine. You know, I mean, even though when my child, he's very knowledgeable, but he tests me, he still goes through the motions of being a child. He copies things, yes, and we have to address those things when we see our child portray things. We don't say, oh, they're just being kids. And where did you get that from? When did you, who said that? Or you you have to inquire, when did you, you know, and that's not good for you. And so I kind of curb a lot of things that I see him bring home from school. And so I let him know. And when he's out playing on the weekends with other children and I see the things that he's exposed to, then I kind of have to balance it because I don't want him around you know, not saying I don't want him around. I do want him around other children because he teaches other children. But I don't want him around an environment that's going to spoil him. So i rather him have an influence on the environment. So I limit it as much as I can, you know, as far as like um, if I know that I'm not in control of any of these children and I don't know them, then I wouldn't entertain my, I wouldn't have my son entertain them or them entertain him. But if they're parents that I know, that we know, that we bond, then it's a big difference because now I can talk to the parent and say, hey, pay attention to these things because, you know, this has happened when you weren't here. Or, you know, could you speak to your child because such and such occurred? And so, you know, we as parent, if we don't know how to get along and we don't learn how to read and write. Really, that's what it is. If you're not educated, you're going to make very bad decisions. So the education is free the way I look at it. And I came out of school when I was in the fifth grade. I have not been to school. Like, I try to go back many times. And because of my citizenship, it's like I kind of fell off as an adult. And so when I returned to school, it was like full blast. I did everything and I accomplished so many certificates in the time that I'm taking my high set. And so with that being said, I got the Bard College credits and for the Humanity 101 class, um, Clemente class, and um, I learned so much. And when I started applying myself to different things that I didn't think I was capable of doing, I mastered it. Now I'm where a lot of people say you have the call for, do, do what I do now, a community advocate, like uh, the parents advocate, like I advocate for all the people that don't want to speak or I'm the people's person, you know what I mean? Like, because I love people and I love interacting and trying to fix things. That's why the Wayfinders to me is like it be made me a tool because, oh my gosh, now I can go out to the community and I can say, hey, let's group together and clean up this lot or let's do this or, you know, let's, let's put together and just make a project for the children or uh, like fundraising for the children's uniforms or whatever. Any case, you have to have a leader. And I feel like within me, there is one. I've always felt that. I just didn't know where to lead or where my, you know, I didn't know. 
And now I have so much around me influence and people in different positions that saying, Sam, this is what you're good at. So I recognize it now to say, well, I know I've always been good domestically because I learned how to do things with my brothers and sisters and raise children and learn them mentally. But when the broad span of it, it's where I want to do it with the young adults that have children that it doesn't do not know how to cope. There's a lot of them home stressed with three and four children and don't know how to. And so they're comfortable with when curfew is up, they come outside, they smoke their cigarettes, they jump in cars, they go places, come back, say, oh, we left the formula in the car and have all these different excuses for it because I'm facing stuff like that right now in the shelter where I'm at. And I'm like, every night, these young females, they just go out, they have children, they have their children, babies in car seats, literally sitting outside the shelter. And they have a little young 65-year-old and younger than my son. My son is seven. And he's running around and it's 10 o'clock in the night. And you're telling me that both of you guys left your formula in the car and that you need, there's no stores open. Like, come on. Like, how irresponsible are you? You have a home, a clean apartment. You have water. You have gas. You, you have heat or, you know, whatever. Like, you have a shelter to make it work. And you're abusing it. So when you lose that, where do your children end up? In a room at someone's house? You know, so it's like I rather, and it's a lot of them that, it's not that I'm painting them black, but hey, a lot of them are comfortable with where they're at. And if they had some motivation and people to come knock on their doors and say, come on, come out to the park with me. Let's do this. Let's take the kids here. Let's do go to the museum and do these things so these children could get, you know, they have so many programs for these children. They have programs for the young adults that we're starting to, if they come out and let us know that they're there, then even people in my situation who's undocumented, I think that there's so much opportunities for you to be um, a part of the system, but you're scared and you feel like it's not for me. And I've been here for 37 years and I've, I'm pretty much in the same predicament. And so I've learned how to survive. And so that's the reason for breathing and living is learning how to survive and cope with the next situation because we all are hit with different, uh, we all are unpredictable. All of our lives are very unpredictable. And we can't, you know, kind of put everyone in the same category, but everyone bleed and breathe the same way. And if we can learn to help each other, trust me, it's going to be a better generation, next generation, and the generation after that. I want my kids my son's children to see what we did. And if we don't start now, they're not going to see anything. They're just going to be in jail because that's where all these kids are going today. They're being put on medication because they think they have ADHD. They're teenagers. Okay, so I get by the time they're teenage, they've been on medication so long. So when they come off on the medication at teenagers, now they're they don't know how to think for themselves. They their body language and everything is just sluggish. You got have to teach them their how to wear the right attire, how to uniform uniforms in school. I think is good because it teaches them how to be uniformed. I mean, not to be fashionable. 
these days, they're all about fashion. It's all about, you know, name brands, but you have to earn these things. And today, technology is just taking over kids. The old school stuff don't even, you know, apply. Like Rubik's Cube and chess games, they should have those tournaments now for these younger generations in the neighborhood. And then the neighborhood association is supposed to be holding fundraising for these things, you know. Every year, you have a basketball tournament. You have, like, a, you know, different... That day, you have, like, things going on in this park where there's a tournament over there for chess. There's a tournament over here for Rubik's Cube. There's a tournament over there for the basketball, something to... Yep. And so that's where I'm at. <laughs> this is a list of different aspects and topics that I will love to share and... Anyone listening, I also should make a, a list of this topics and issues proposed by Samantha because this information needs to be addressed and needs to be sent out, to, especially to the people who regulate and has some power on making these things happen. Like, for example, the city council, like the school system in Holyoke, and community, community services and agencies that are involved and sometimes really looking for this drive and this energy that Samantha is providing for benefiting the whole community. So now connecting with a little bit of your background, being an immigrant from Guyana, what are your connections? What are your feelings? What is that up to today you have with you that identifies you? Well, my father, he was conceived in 1947 um, in South America, and my grandfather was in the Navy. Um, his last name is Mayo. Um, I'm not sure where he's actually from or his descendants. My grandmother and my grandfather on my mother's side, is both of their names are Singh, and they're East Indian. My grandmother met my grandfather, and they had my dad, and that was the only child they had together, and I never saw my grandfather again. His name is Oswald Mayo. My grandmother passed away when my my dad was about 20 years old in Guyana, and she never saw him again. He held a ship there when he was there. He held the ship there for three days waiting for her to come, and she didn't go, so he never returned. And... um. My aunt in England, Jean, she explained to me that she was 10 years old when my dad was born. And, um, you know, when all these things was transpiring, she was she knew that my grandfather worked on a ship called Alco Planter. And, um, you know, I just know a little bit about that. I don't really know too much about my grandfather on my father's side. Um, I never met my grandmother on my father's side. I never met my grandmother on my mother's side. She passed away giving birth. And my grandfather on my, my mom's side, he drank himself to death pretty much, missing her. And my mom raised me the best way she knew. And I don't know, I think that one day I'll finally find out, you know, what my grandfather is and where he come from. But for the most part, I just know that my mom is from... Her, grand, her parents are from India, descent, and uh, that's as far as, you know, I know. My grandmother from my father, my father's mother, 
um, I think was also Indian. Her last name was Das, D-A-S. I don't really know. I have uh, a lot of brothers and sisters. I have over 12, 13 brothers. I have over eight sisters. They live all over the world, and I, I try to keep in con connection with them. So my brother Pop and Joe passed away in 2000. No, 2005, Joe passed away. And 2006, May, Pop passed away. And after they left, I, you know, kind of lost contact with a few people as far as my family. Well, most of the people in my family, I kind of distanced myself. And then I kind of reconnected with them after a while. But it was like a depression because um, I didn't know how to cope with that. And I still never really celebrated anything or haven't really cried the way I was supposed to or it comes out every once in a while but it's like it's so hard to believe that you know they were 21 and 25 and just due to gun violence they had nothing to do with these shootouts but you know someone mistaken my brother for someone else and shot in his car and um my brother the other one was coming out the get uh the car going into the gas station for something to drink and was in a crossfire, and he also was killed. But these is 14 months apart. And so Springfield has just gotten so bad to where, you know, it's hard, but, you know, as long as you stay to yourself and you focus on your goal, it's right across the street. It's not up and down the block, you know, and around the corner. Your goal is right across the street. So with me, it's like I already knew it, and I sat around for a little while and observed a lot so I'm more street smart than book smart, I would say, but I'm learning as, you know, every day I read, every day I try to, my math is my biggest challenge, and the more I do it is the more I love it. Um, I love my teacher, Nicole. She's um, at Halo. She's the best. She's, you know, they're my teacher um, at, uh, my all my teachers there, uh, Liam, Danielle, the Martha Owens, the director, you know, they... Winona, she's a, you know, she helps me with my tests. She paid for my tests already for me. Like, you know, so I, they was all a part of my strength getting to this, to this point in this day. You know, uh, I had both my graduations on the same day. It was like, it felt so good, but it's like my citizenship has always been my hurdle. And with me not being able to do that, no matter how accomplished I've gotten, I still feel like there is that mountain that won't move because, you know, the system is so crazy and it's so hard for parents and moms like me who's trying to make a better life for myself and my son. And it's hard. It's, it doesn't get easier. And so I think the more people that come out and speak, once our voices is together and it's heard, they have to make a difference. It's a law. We make a law together, we stand. And divide it, all those words fall apart. All those laws fall apart, like everything falls. So the main people who have the voice and have the money are just going to call the shots because we're not speaking. You know, we're, we're not coming out to say anything. So I think that the more people that come out and tell their stories and, you know, I know mine is a struggle, but hey, it's not different from anyone else's. I Everyone else go through their own struggle in their own way. 
I just also have a struggle and, you know, I want to share it with whoever feel like they don't have that opportunity. You do. You can come out and you can. I didn't think this this was even possible for me to have an interview about these things because I felt like I was a, I was never going to get heard or I was never going to be you know, seen or it's like, it just was hard for me just being recognized. But you know what? I applied myself to where my passion was. And that brought me to this point right here because my son is my passion. His world, his friends, his school, his teachers are the people that strengthened him and it strengthens me too. And so if it wasn't for his school showing me how to get around or Jamadi at, at Lawrence showing me how to, you know, be that parent I'm supposed to be and helping me go to Halo and referring me to all these classes at, you know, Bard College and all these things. It's, I would never have found my way, but it's a connection. And if you don't have connections with the right people and where, you know, you, you, you'll lose yourself. I found the connection with my son's school at Lawrence. You know, the principal, Miss Catherine Harhan, she's great. She listens to me every time. I, she's very, very busy. But, yes, she every time give me two to five minutes or more. You know, even if it's two minutes, I still get my point across. I let her know what my concern is. She addresses it. You know, they're not they're not superhuman. They don't have superpowers, so they can't be there for every issue. But hey, I'm a witness, and I can say that those people do really try to make a better day for your kids. Whoever go to Lawrence, whatever child go to Lawrence, I know that they work with them because I experience it hand on hand. I do volunteer work there. Rick is a really good dude for the, he cleans up the yard, he cleans up the playground, he cleans, cuts the grass, he makes sure the school grounds are, you know, good for the kids. People come, they drop their, they're so disrespectful, they drop their paraphernalias all over the place or the playground and he has to clean that up in the morning before the kids come to school and I commend him for that. You know, Bob and the other crossing guard, I'm not sure his name, but you know, he's on Maple Street. Bob is on um, the the street with the library. And they every morning they're out there. They need better clothes to weather jackets for to be out there. I look at them in the last winter. I'm like, no one is putting together to, you know, support these people that's out there crossing your kids every morning. So parents need to look at what's right in their face and stop ignoring it and speak about it. Come to the school meetings, gather and, 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 and speak and say what you would like to see change. And so these are the things that, and this is why I'm here today, because I was able to be a part of the Wayfinders and it's through my son's school, you know, and if it wasn't for his school and me going to these meetings and not missing these, I would not know about the Wayfinders. I would not know Mr. Vega. I would not be able to be here and have this opportunity to tell my story. And this is a story of resilience, of persistence, of inspiration. I'm really moved. Thank you. And excited of knowing you because people like you are the people who make things happen. And I believe for the audience listening to your story, things should be seen and done differently because you are going through so many things that for many people are taken for granted every single minute. 
And I believe many people in the audience should be grateful for what they have and look up for helping and supporting the ones who are doing everything to get to that level of quality of life. It's hard for me to turn the other cheek when I see a, child's, a child cry and a parent abuse that child. It's hard for me to turn the other cheek when I see, you know, people in the street passed out from shooting up. I, it's hard for me to turn the other cheek when I see that my son asked me why she passed out on the steps like that. You know, it's hard. And so these are the things that I w if we had actually was caring about and w instead of worrying about how our kids how fly our kids are just having the best name brand or the best technology over the other child is like we need to worry about what's right in our face the concerns of you know saying something about the it's not if you don't even have to spend anything just come out and speak and that alone will pay the price of your children for tomorrow just speaking holding a voice for them is more than anything you know because i think that if you speak for these children today, their tomorrow will be better. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars on them to make them happy. All right. I think that the parents today are worried about paying bills and having their children look nice, opposed to teaching their learning how to read and write so they can teach their children how to read and write. It's the same metaphor with teaching a man how to fish you know, that meant yes. So it's like I can't really, the way I look at it is I rather teach my child learn how, learn more, um, acquire more education so I can teach him more opposed to, you know, how, what type of game system he has. And all these things are like vanity. And if you teach a child vanity, they will never know the value of themselves without anything and that's the problem. These kids, their personalities change just by having a gadget, which is a phone. It's now the end thing. And they don't see that, not realizing that they're abusing their gadgets. And so with that being said, it's spoiled all their characters. People come sit back in on a couch and complain every day. And I can't understand why is it you're not here speaking, lined up for these politicians to see you want to make a difference. Speak. Have your voice heard. Let it be known that you want to participate in your child's school or just in the community. Just go find out anything you can as far as getting connected because connection is the key right now. And if you're not connected to the right source, then you're going to keep going through loopholes and you're never really going to reach where you need to reach because it's, it's always somebody trying to get over on us, the smaller people, you know, and so if we don't speak, they're going to keep making decisions for us. So I think that um, being in the situation I am, um, I'm still speaking. I'm still a part of the community. I'm still trying to go to school and I'm still trying to do everything. I'm not going to let it stop me because I know that I have a child that I want to I want him to be someone in life, and I don't want him to start late like I did. So I try to teach him everything I know now. And with that being said, 
again, I love his teachers. Miss Carvel is his teacher, second grade, and she understands him so well. His, um, you know, his Mr. B, Mr. O, they're all good supporters of, you know, my son in school and his learning and, you know, his ability to do better. And I commend all of them because if it wasn't for them right now, my, you know, my mind will be going, you can't be in school worried about your kid, you know, um, if he's okay, if the teachers is treating him well, are they trained to know your kid or, you know, deal with your kid when he's going through his motions? Yes, my son teachers are very good at what they do and, you know, I, I love them. So if I can, you know, do anything to support Lawrence in the future, um, elementary school in, on Cabot and Holyoke, I will definitely do so. Again, um, I can't sit back and wait for it. I can't sit back and give up. I can't sit back and just let everything come to me. I just want to go get it. So, you know, when I do have get my citizenship, they'll see that I'm very capable. I'm already hitting the ground running. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not just crawling or walking. I'm I'm running. So I've been running for quite some time. But um Right now, I just leave it up to God because I don't know what else to do with the situation. And I've left it up to him for some time. And so every day he wakes me up and he sends me to school and I drop my son off. And so I know that I'm picking him up to take him home to start the day all over again. That's all I know. That's all I can do right now. And whatever else I could do as far as the community and as far as just helping my neighbors and, you know, my family, I'm here. I have the energy, I have the gift. If I can do anything to make a difference, now is the time to start. You know, so I've been trying anything and everything I know to survive and be a parent and just do the best I know because right now I can't do anything else. Samantha, I want to thank you. First of all, for the opportunity to get to know you. Thank you for sharing your story and for that energy. You are a true inspiration. You're welcome. It was an honor to be here. I really appreciate you having me. Um, I've never had this done before and it's a release. It feels good to actually let someone know and have other people hear, you know, these situations that, you know, a lot of us face every day and it's like, if you don't have another person to pretty much motivate you, you will just, the stress will swallow you up and it would, you know, make you feel incompetent. And you're really not, you're really not. You just need that to come outside and have that sun shine on you and feel like there is nothing new under the sun. Let me tell you, there is nothing new under the sun. So everything you did has already been done, you know, and it's a matter of, another person doing it it's not it wasn't your time but it's your time now you know and everyone time is different so it's if you haven't been out to speak or have your story heard it's actually the time to do it because this is when you know you 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 can make a difference in what's happening if you don't speak then no one will never know you're there and um I think that I couldn't ask for a better opportunity. So I really appreciate it. This is Samantha Singh, 
and this is our series of stories of immigrants in Holyoke. And this is an inspiring and powerful story showing that we all have a struggle, a story, and that is what defines who we are and what we can do, what we are capable of. This episode was produced at the Plasma Media Lab here at the Gandhara Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Mass. I'm Johan Roshi Vega. Thank you for listening. Bye.